feels like I'm losing it. I got this brand new life, don't know what to do with it. Oh, I sang all the songs, and every time they prayed, I always played along. Played along. I was searching for your face, feeling empty and out of place. It's like I hear what you're saying, but I don't know what they mean. I heard every lesson, but I never got the message until you came along and spoke to me. Everything was black and white, and now it's technicolor. A whole new world of wonder. You put the light back in my eyes. My heart was deaf to breathe into it. Made me new before I knew it. You loved me back to life. You loved me. Like everyone else could hear Hear your voice and see you move They could all feel you near Oh But I could find you by myself See what they saw, feel what they felt Should've known you had to rescue me yourself Everything was black and white And now it's technicolor Buddy. Jonathan, turn that down, bud. There's Spotify going. Can you turn that down? Turn that down. Turn that down. Turn that down. Okay. How's it going? How's everybody going? We're going to start a little bit early for you, okay? Because I'm very excited to see you all. Happy Mother's Day to you. If you're a mom, just shout out. If you're a mom, just shout out right now. Yeah. 
Mom's a woo girl. I like that. That's very good. Woo! That's very, very good. So uh, I, I wanted to start. I know we're starting early. That's deliberate. Uh, because I have all of these aphorisms that my mom gave me when I was growing up, and I, I thought they were really, really helpful. Like when I needed some, you know, bit of sage advice from my mom. Does anybody have a good sage advice that, that, that your mom gave you? Anybody at all? What? I can't hear Tommy either, Jonathan. Turn him up. So he's got some amazing answer, I'm sure. What? I can't hear you, buddy. I'm sorry. Too far from your heart to kill you. I don't know what that means. But Kim, did you ever receive any uh, good, good uh, advice from your mother? Wait, <laughs> did you hear anything at all? Uh, she has nothing. No, Does anybody have any good, pithy statement that their mom gave to them that there's like, man, this is what I live by right now? Anything at all? Wakey, wakey, rise and shine. <laughs> wakey, wakey? Okay. It's not something about bakey. That's what they're on the next thing. <laughs> anything else? Well, I received uh, a count, you know, got to count your blessings. I remember that on White Christmas, count your blessings instead of sheep or something like that. Well, my mom used that for like a, this. Uh, uh, like this song, this old hymn that was like a count your blessings and stuff like that. This is kind of a newer version of it that we want you to be able to, you know, to hear, to get you excited about. So if you know this, let's give it a good time today, okay? okay. I'm so blessed. Hallelujah, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Hallelujah, I'm blessed. Child of God, oh, every day is a good day. You're the reason why I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Got this heart beating my chest. No, it doesn't matter about the rest. If I got you, Lord, I'm so Tell you why you got air in your lungs and you got blood in your body. You are a child of God. Come on and sing it, somebody.
Good morning. Welcome to Capital City. Happy Mother's Day. How many of you guys, I'm going to see a show of hands. How many of you guys have a mother? A few of you did not raise your hands. I suspected such. That's something we all share, right? In fact, uh, just in case you forgot that it was Mother's Day, you'll notice that we left a card for you on your chair, right? And so you take that card, put something on it special for your mom, and then you can give it to her on this Mother's Day. Now, not all of us can do that. My mom died 10 years ago to the day, all right? Which uh, my dad made me aware of a couple of days ago because I would have forgotten, I'm afraid, the date. But I uh, can't send her a card, but what I could do is take one of these cards and fill it out for some other mother who might not have a kid able to talk to them. It's kind of cool. By the way, um, not all of us were blessed with great moms. I know that's a terrible thing to say on Mother's Day. However, the Bible tells us to honor our father and our mother. And it doesn't say honor our father and mother if we think they're doing their job great. We don't do that because they are good. We do that because we are good. We are children of God. This is a big deal, right? Now, this is Mother's Day, but we're going to do things a little bit differently on this Mother's Day because basically what makes a lady a mom is kids, right? And when we talk about our kids, we talk about milestones. Milestones are a big deal to us. We're going to celebrate two of the milestones that are biggest for mamas today, those who have had a new baby and those whose babies have actually made it all the way through high school. We're going to honor our, our, our new moms, our, our babies, the baby dedication day, and we're going to talk about our high school grads today. This is a big deal. Okay, these are not the biggest milestones if you're a... Christian parent, the biggest milestone is to make sure that your kid makes that, that declaration of faith in Jesus Christ so they can spend eternity with him and with you, I hope. But that's, uh, that's what we're going to celebrate today. What we want you to do right now is to kind of watch a video, and as this video is happening, we want a couple things to take place. First of all, if you are one of our families that's going to dedicate a new baby, we want you over there by the baptistry. So during this video, make your way to the baptistry. If you're one of those families that has a grad, we want you to make your way over to the drum cage, which makes sense, right? Drum cage, loud noise, with your high school kid. And during this video, you guys come forward, and during this video, elders also come up onto the stage. Okay? Watch this. Um, another kid. Happy Sam, 
fancy jewelry or some makeup. Probably two red horses. I probably wish for some necklaces. today on this next gen Sunday of hope and as we celebrate the ladies who take care of us this Mother's Day we also turn special attention to the next generation our Cap City fam has grown this past year with the addition of several sweet babies and our once Cap City kids are quickly becoming Cap City adults as they graduate high school and enter the next chapter in their life Life in all of its phases can be difficult and we desperately need each other. That's how we were made, to do life God's way together. And the um, curriculum that we use for our next-gen programs is from Orange, and that's their whole concept, that the red of the love of the family plus the yellow of the light of the church makes orange. And it takes all of us. It takes a village to raise children. And the president of Orange, Kristen Ivey, also led their phase project, and she had the following to say about what kids need. All kids need the same thing. Kids who are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, kids who are fostered or adopted, only children, middle children, youngest children, high risk, special needs, gifted, introverted, extroverted, strong-willed or mild-tempered, all kids need the same thing. Actually, it may seem like kids need a lot of things. If you listen to the voices in our culture advocating for kids today, you can quickly become overwhelmed at all the things kids need. They need a healthy diet. They need exercise. They need playtime. They need study time. They need downtime. They need to have a practical skill. They need more rigorous classes. They need better grades. They need better friends. They need medication. They need entertainment. They need technology. They need to get a job. <laughs> That's you all. <laughs> I'm not saying they don't need all these other things too, but without the one thing, none of these things actually matters. In fact, without the one thing, you can't even begin to give them all the things they need. So what is this one thing? It's pretty simple. Every kid needs for you to show up. Growing up is hard. Kids at every phase need adults who will show up predictably and consistently over time. In fact, it's the one thing they need more than anything else. But the reason kids need consistent adults changes with each phase in life. In preschool, kids need you to show up so they know you. There are more changes in the first year of life than any other, and a toddler's world is very unstable. It's no wonder they need adults to step in and create some stability. The best thing you can give a preschooler is a familiar face. 
If they don't know who you are, you won't have a lot of success giving them anything else they need. Just think how many preschoolers cry when they visit Santa. In elementary years, kids need you to show up so they know you know them. In elementary school, kids are fascinated with life. They are discovering new ideas and experiences every day, and they want someone to discover it all along with them. The best thing you can give an elementary age kid is a fascination with who they are. When you show up for an elementary age kid, they need, you to, they need to know that you know their name, their pet's name, their interest, and their favorite snack food. In middle school, students need to know that you're gonna show up for change. It is in this phase, life feels like it's being turned upside down. Similar to those toddler years that Aaron was just talking about, life change is happening at an expedited rate and their emotions are being pushed to the extreme. The best thing you can give a middle schooler is your predictable presence in the middle of their changing reality. You show up to rediscover them again and again and again in order to prove to them that they are worth knowing and they're worth showing up for. Yes. And in high school, students still need you to show up. One of the greatest myths we could buy into is that high schoolers don't need or want adults. The truth is, they don't think they need adults when things seem to be going well. Inevitably, there will be days that they do need them. The one way we can be there is to prove to them that you care even when they don't think that they need you. So keep providing care. Keep showing up when they push you away. That way they know there's always someone to talk to. It's easy to get lost in the midst of long list of needs. We can all find a little solace in knowing this. We're doing our best when we simply show up. This morning, we recognize these students on their completion of high school and their family members who are standing with them who have shown up for them over the last 18 years. As you show up for your kids, you must also consider where you are leading them. Deuteronomy 6.5 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses advised them to simply make faith a part of their life every day. Graduates, I speak to you. We challenge you now to continue to do so as you enter into adulthood. One of the easiest ways you can do this is to incorporate your faith, your faith in Jesus, into all aspects of your life. As a student, as an employee, as a friend, and as a citizen, be the light of the world and someone who demonstrates grace and truth. Just like we are all gathered here today, Moses shared with that group of parents and aunts and uncles and singles and grandparents so long ago that the most important thing they can do is to help their child have a relationship with God. And he wanted them to show their children how to love God with all their hearts. And it's the same for us. We need to show our children how to love God with all their hearts. Now, maybe you feel anxious because you're not even sure what that might look like, but it's not as hard as you think. During bath time, when you're driving in the car, when you're coloring together, on your way to practice, be intentional about talking about your faith with your child. Yes, you as parents will have the most influence over who your child will become, but don't get overwhelmed. When Moses explained the strategy, he challenged the entire community of faith to play a role in your children's spiritual formation. We want to partner with you. That's why we're here, to link arms with you in raising your child to have a faith of their own.
We all work together and serve next gen so that your child can grow in their relationship with God. We want to partner with you to help your child become someone who loves God, someone who loves others, someone who really lives. For our families of new babies, we will all commit to showing up for your kids today. Church family, please stand and follow along with the responsive reading. Families will respond with we do, and church family respond with we will when you are addressed. First, our parents. Do you receive this child with thanksgiving as God's gift to you and your family? Do you commit to each other as parents, creating a stable environment in which your child can mature? Do you commit to be parents of personal faith, recognizing your relationship with God will be their first glimpse of God's love and grace? Do you commit to lead a faith-filled home that honors God in all your relationships and in the choices you make in spiritually growing your family? Do you commit to be parents with patience, recognizing that your strengths and weaknesses and your commitment to discipling your child is a loving act that requires time, prayer, and a relationship with God in order to produce children who love God? All right. And church family, will you, church family, be faithful to your calling as Jesus followers so these children and the children influenced by this church body will grow up in the knowledge and love of God? We will. Thank you. somewhat symbolically closing out here and I think it's really cool to be able to surround them as they begin this journey and so I'm going to encourage you to even get up close we're going to pray over them you can even put a hand on them if you like we're going to pray over them and then our elders are going to come behind and they're going to be praying for you as well praying over these seniors and their next step of life and what that may look like all right and so family if you like let's pray over these kids that are so important to our church God we thank you for the blessings of of children. God, we're grateful for what they mean to us, the, what the, the love that they, that they show us, what, what you are. God, how you love us. They open our eyes to things that we can't comprehend on our own. And in these big phases and moments of life, God, we are excited to celebrate the, these seniors who are graduating and moving on to what's next. God, we pray that they would have a heart that is serious about who you are that as they push forward in life, that they would be faithful in their calling to follow you and that in all things they would, they would serve you well. And God, we pray for their parents as they go through this transition with them as well. We pray that they would be able to, uh, to do so with dignity and grace, that they would enjoy this next phase of life with their kids and celebrate the adults that they have become and are becoming. God, let this be a joyful time in the life of these families. And God, we pray over these new families, these uh, small children, these babies, as they are just beginning this process, and these young parents. God, we pray that they would be blessed by a community of people who would love them and care for them and train them in who you are. God, we pray that of all the things that we can do, none of it is as important as knowing you. And so, God, we pray that that would happen with these families, with these parents with the extended church, God, even the responsibility that we have to continue to care and love and lead and to raise up this next generation. 
God, we are excited about the future of your church and what you will do through these young people. We're excited to be able to participate. God bless these families. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sacrifice truly looks like you've also taught us what it's like to live without fear to know that we have hope that we can have hope in even the most dire of circumstances and even if the people that are in this room today who are struggling for whatever reason they're feeling in a moment that they're not hopeful father i ask that you would teach them what it's like to have hope even when things around them are not the way that they want it to be but we sing these words of hope because we've seen what you've done in the past and we believe that you're going to work in our lives right now and in the future. Father, thank you for 
dedications and we thank you so much for graduations and changes and transitions. We believe that you're there in every circumstance. Broke my chain 
give you glory for the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Father, we pray each of these things in his holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you guys have a seat for a second? You know, I was thinking about that as we were doing this song. That the, today is about family. T- today is about, you know, blood, you know, blood getting together and, and doing what we do together. But family is, it, what brings us together as a family is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so blood is still involved, right? And I'm so excited that he calls us, not just his followers. He doesn't call us just the, these little uh, acolytes. He calls us sons and daughters. And there's some, some, something pretty significant with that. When we express this love for Jesus Christ and call him our Lord and our Savior, he says, you are now my son. You are now my daughter. That's the significant thing that happens. And what we do when we gather together, we, we want to have a family meal. And every time that we do, when we come together as a family, we take our communion together. It's a way for us to remember what it took, the blood of Jesus Christ, his, his death on a cross is what brings us here into these moments. His body was broken for us and sacrificed. His blood was shed for us and sacrificed for us. And so he instituted this when he was still on this earth and he, he set it up so that we will have these time of remembrance. And as we gather together, we want to do that. In a few moments when you go around to the, the tables that are around this room, you're going to have that chance to eat a piece of bread and a little bit of that juice to represent the body and the blood. If this uh, place is your home, this is family, and you want to give an offering, we have that uh, at each of the stations too. It's called a, an offering. It's a black box there. We do this odd thing uh, called a generous bucket as well that are at each of the stations. And that's, uh, you have an offering. You give that offering. You say, now there's just something on my heart that i got to give in need. This is, that's what the bucket's for. So you can put your money in there. It goes to people that are in need in this community. I, I love the fact that we try to give hope uh, in everything that we do uh, from the stage out in, out in the community. But that's what this is all about, to be able to give hope. That's what today is about. It's a day of hope. So as you are mindful of those things, let's go to the tables and keep that in mind. We are a family. Act like one, okay? Go ahead and stand up. Let's go to the stations.
I hope you paid attention to that video that we played earlier. The kids and, and the things that they think of their mother, it's a lot of fun. I think that if we interviewed moms back, if we came back to them and we asked them, what are the things that you hope for your kids? What are the things that you would hope your biggest dreams, your biggest goals for these kids? What, what would it be? And I think that we'd probably get you know, some pretty standard answers, right? Like I would expect most moms to mention something about safety. Maybe they wouldn't use that word, but they would probably talk a lot about like they don't want broken bones or scratches or, or pains or hurts. They want their kids to just be protected and to be safe. And that's great, except that you realize that most of the time the things that moms hope or wish for their kids is the opposite of what kids actually want. You realize that? Once you look at this picture, this is a picture of my nephew. He just turned four years old, all right? He's graduating from, from preschool, and the word is that this is the first time that the photographer had ever seen this as a, as a life goal. Uh, little Cannon, my nephew, he wants to be a mutton buster when he grows up. Are any of you familiar with what a mutton buster is? A few of you? All right. Okay. Mutton busting is when you go to the rodeo, and, and kids want to participate, and so they put like this protective jacket on them, and they put a helmet on them. Uh, they didn't years ago, but now they do, okay? They put those things on them, and they put them on a sheep, and they see who can last the longest, all right? Like, that's basically it. That's mutton busting, all right? And so my little nephew, he doesn't have this dream, this hope of being safe. He just wants to ride sheep, <laughs> all right? It's different, right? Moms and kids are different. If you were to ask moms, what are some of the biggest goals? What do you hope for? What do you dream for for your kids? They would probably speak something about education, Right? Like there's a sense that you want them to be smart, you want them to be intelligent, you want them to accomplish something uh, through those kinds of things. But the reality is, if you ask a kid, they're hardly ever going to mention good grades. They're going to hardly ever mention wanting to know something. Very, very few kids out there are desperate for that kind of stuff. They're going to want to be an athlete. <laughs> they're going to want to be something different, right? If you ask moms, what do you want for your kids? They're going to say something like a good job. You want your kids to grow up and have a good career. That's interesting because small children especially don't have any concept of this. They think of a career in the future, they're thinking they want to be a superhero, right? Like that's what they want to do with their life. If it's a, if it's a little girl, maybe she wants to be a princess, all right? And the older they get, maybe that shifts over time, but it's really rare to ever meet a child who wants to be an accountant. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? And, you know, we, we ask, you know, moms, what would you want? And they would say, you know, we want our kids to make money, we want them to be successful and have enough money. Dads, if we were talking about dads, dads would say, I want my kids to make enough money to take care of me. <laughs> right? That, that's, that's the standard that we're setting here, right? But those are the things that we hope for. Little kids don't necessarily think in those kinds of terms. It's not something that is a real focus of the life. The older they get, maybe more so. In fact, the older a child gets, they might start dreaming of making enough money to get away from mom and dad, Right? That makes sense. If we'd ask moms, what do you hope for, for your kids? You would probably say something about their friends. You'd want them to be surrounded by good people. Most kids don't worry about whether their friends are good. They wonder whether their friends are fun. It's different, isn't it? And if we're honest, if we look at this list of the things that we seem to care about, a lot of it looks like finger crossing to me. You remember when you were a kid and you would want something, you would wish for something, and so you would take your fingers and you like close your eyes real tight and you would make this little wish and then you opened your eyes hoping that it was there? <laughs> remember that? We just kind of wish upon it. Remember, remember like the little dandelions? It's kind of that season right now where they're popping up and you'd go and you'd take and you would blow on the fluff of a dandelion and you'd make a wish? It looks like blowing out candles on a birthday cake. It, it looks like finding shooting stars, right? Sometimes... 
That's how we go through life, just wishing things would happen our way. The adult version of that is lottery tickets. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? If you notice that when the lottery gets big enough, everyone starts talking about it, and everyone talks about what they would do if they win, but the vast majority of us never even buy a ticket. It's like we just dreamed that they would choose us to win the lottery. <laughs> That's like fingers crossed. Like, could they just pick me to win this, right? It's interesting, isn't it? We go through life sometimes just with this wishful thinking, and we call it hope. Sometimes how we raise our kids, we call it hope, but it's not really hope. It's kind of just crossing fingers. It's, it's really just wishful thinking. What is hope? And what isn't hope? Last few weeks, we've been looking at these fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about love and joy and peace. And as we've looked at these words, we've realized that we have to start with a definition. We have to define what they are. And typically, we have to spend some time working through what the counterfeit version of them is as well, the ways in which we sell it short and we buy it cheap. And then we talk about the opposites of these words, and we'll do all three of those things today as well. So let's start with a definition. We're going to start with this. We're going to say that a definition of hope is an optimistic anticipation, meaning there's a positive outlook, there's a positive way that I'm looking, and it's anticipating something. It's not necessarily something that's happening now. It's something that I'm looking off forward to, that I'm excited for, that I'm waiting on, something to happen along those lines, right? So it's an optimistic anticipation, but it's not wishful thinking. I mean, if we just left it right there, that's wishful thinking. That's just crossing fingers, right? But it's based in something deeper. It's rooted in the person and the promises of Jesus, that we have this optimistic uh, anticipation in the person of Jesus, meaning that in who we understand Jesus to be, we, who we understand what he taught and how he lived, that we look back and specifically we see his death and we see his resurrection, that that causes us to have an optimistic anticipation, not just in who he was, but also in the promises of what are yet to take place, that one day he will return and that there is such thing as an eternity spent with him. And so we look forward to those things. And what's interesting about this is that the, the Jesus follower sees the world differently. If we were to define hope outside of this place, we'd get a lot of definitions, but they wouldn't necessarily include Jesus. But whenever a Jesus follower adds Jesus to the equation, whenever we become aware of who he is and the things that he's done, it changes our outlook on everything, and it shifts, it shifts hope from just this wishful thinking thing into something that's more concrete. See, Jesus followers have this different perception. We have this robust confidence because of what he has once done and what he has promised that is yet to take place. And it changes our perspectives, right? And what I love about this, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. All of these words, love, joy, peace, hope that we're talking about today, all of these words are used outside of spiritual contexts. And yet, when we add Jesus into the equation, when we make it a spiritual thing, it now becomes fruit of the Spirit. The real version of these things are spiritual things, and they're focused on Jesus. He's the center point, that he's the motivation, that he is the goal. He's the focus. It's not myself, it's him. And the fascinating thing to me is that when we consider all this, it's an optimistic anticipation that when we think about all these things, it creates power in the present. It's about something that happened in the past. It's about a looking forward to something in the future. But it gives us power in the present. It gives us a perspective, that, that Jesus follower perspective, where when he's central, when he's center, when we see Jesus at the forefront of all things, it changes how we live now. Now, that counterfeit version of that is just that wishful 
thinking. It looks like superstition. It looks like dumb luck. It looks like magic. It looks like crossing fingers and blowing out birthday candles. We live wishful lives sometimes. And when we talk about the next generation today, and as we consider them, there's this reality that whenever we live wishful lives, we incidentally pass on wishful thinking to our kids. We teach them that this is the way to live, that you just cross your fingers and hope that things will work out. And even if you don't have kids, if you don't have grandkids, even if you're sitting in a different context this morning, this is still true for you today. There's a decent chance that you live this way because I think that's how most of our culture lives. And so there's all these ways in which, in which we get this wrong. We mentioned them already. So there's this idea, there's this, there's this fake idea there, this fantasy idea of safety. We want so badly in life for things to just go our way. We want to escape through life without any sort of broken bones or any sort of, any sort of real deep wounds. We, we want to survive the emotional difficulties or traumas that may come up in our life. I mean, I love the idea that I could die at an old age and everyone would be surprised that I was still alive, right? And I love the idea that when that happens, it would be nice and peaceful and it would catch me off guard because there wasn't anything leading up to it, right? And I hope that at that day I can look back and that there wouldn't be anything bad, anything difficult in the relationships or the life that I'd had, that it had all just been this wonderful, beautiful tiptoeing through the tulips, right? That's not real life, is it? It's not real. And sometimes we hang on to this idea like it's something that we could have. We, we cross our fingers and we kind of wish for it, but it's just not real. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 5. He's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this. He says, uh, he causes the sun, talking about God, God causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's kind of an interesting verse, Right? But Jesus is basically saying this, that God is just so very good that his blessings pour out on everyone. He doesn't just bless the farmer who's faithful to him. Like he doesn't rain on him and then stop the rain right before it gets to the next guy's property line, okay? But that he blesses all. That good things from God happen to everyone. You can't escape the blessings of God. Even if you choose not to follow him, you cannot escape the blessings of God. What's interesting is that the opposite of this is also true, and not in the sense that God is also punishing everybody equally, but in the sense of this, we live in a broken world, and there isn't anyone who can escape the problems of this world. There isn't anyone who is immune to the pains and the burdens of this world, and so when we hold on to this dream of safety, it's just a dream, it's just a fantasy, it's not real. There's something better out there. Jesus says this in John chapter 16. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says, in this world you will have trouble. And he's talking very specifically to them about the future of what they're going to endure because of their faithfulness and their following of him. But the statement is true regardless. In fact, if the disciples had chosen that they weren't going to follow Jesus anymore because they didn't want to have trouble, they would have lived a life of trouble because that's the world we live in, isn't it? That's just the realities of it. And we want these things for our kids. We want these things for ourselves. We dream these things, but it's just not real. It's like we're living with our head in the sand. It's like we're living in fantasy land. And we hold on to this idea of education. We hold on to this idea that if we can just learn enough or know enough that somehow life will get better. A couple weeks ago in a Wednesday night class, Doc mentioned how the more educated we've become, all that's happened is we've become more creative in how we are sinful. Right? That no matter how smart we get, Things just don't seem right. And there's this guy in the Old Testament, a guy named Solomon. He's a king. 
The Bible calls him the wisest man who ever lived. He had this knowledge and this understanding that was so far surpassing anyone else. So when he writes things, it's probably pretty valuable for us to pay attention to what he has to say. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says this, and I love it, okay? Yep. I thought to myself, and I love this, okay, because Solomon's really smart, and he wants to have a good conversation with someone, so he talks to himself. He says, I thought to myself, Look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. So then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of the madness, the opposite of wisdom, the madness and the folly. But I learned that this is a chasing after the wind. That the smartest guy who knew the most, who had the best understanding of all things, that at the end of the line, when he'd reached everything that he thought he could possibly know, still felt like it was outside of his grasp. That no matter how smart he got, no matter how much he accomplished, he felt like he couldn't just quite reach that point. He couldn't quite get to that point of satisfaction, of knowledge and knowing. It eluded him. That education wasn't the end-all, be-all in his life. It was a chasing after the wind. You see, we want our kids to be smart. We have hopes and dreams for them. We wish that they would know the things they need to know and be educated and to be successful in that. But I think we also know people who pursued those things to their demise. We know people who've become very, very smart and yet live very, very dumbly. And we want our kids to be smart, but sometimes we want them to be smart in the wrong stuff. We, we miss out on what's most important. If you want your kids to be smart, you should get them to know God. They should know who God is and they should know him personally. It's a different thing, isn't it? That's a hope. And we lean on stuff like our jobs and, and wealth. We care about careers. We care about, about how those things are going to play out for our kids. The same guy, Solomon, in the next chapter, had this to say. So, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Now, I think the older you get, the more funny this verse becomes and also more sad, <laughs> right? Right? This verse didn't mean to me 10 years ago what it means to me now, all right? Because as I see the things around me, the things that I like, the things that I've accumulated, I'm starting to recognize more and more that they're really not all that valuable, and all that's going to happen is that someday my kids are going to have to clean it up, right? It's kind of disheartening, isn't it? But we don't live that way. We live with fingers crossed. We have these dreams that if we can just accumulate enough stuff, if we can have the right job, if we can make the right amount of money, if we can have all these different comforts or things that we can attain to, that somehow that's going to make our lives better. And the guy who knew it all and who had it all says, no, nah, it's just kind of a waste. It's an endeavor that's not worth pursuing. At the end of it, it's not what you hoped it would be. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul says, I want you to hear this because this is going to hit our culture pretty hard. Paul says that putting your hope in wealth is arrogant and it's uncertain. It's bound to fail. But that's what we want for our kids, right? We want that for them. We want that for ourselves. We kind of wish upon a star that it can happen that way and be for us, right? But Paul says, Paul says no, 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 no. Don't put your hope there. Put your hope, put your hope in God. 
your hope in God. And we put our hope in people. This is maybe the most ridiculous of the whole list, but we do it. I'll be honest with you. I pray for my kids. I pray for their friends. I I pray that, that they would be surrounded by good, godly people who would lead them to Christ. I pray that they will have a spouse one day who will be faithful to Jesus first and faithful to them second. I pray those things all the time, and I desperately want them to happen. But I am not basing my hope on their salvation on the right people being in their lives. Do you hear the difference? And there's all sorts of language to this. And again, this is going to hit us in our nation right now really hard. I want you to see this verse. It's from a psalm. I think 146. It says, do not put your trust in princes or in human beings. In our political landscape, how much can you say that this is the definition of how we live in this country right now? Don't put your trust in princes or in human beings who cannot save. They will disappoint and leave you short every single time. He says, when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. I love that language because I have faith in someone whose spirit departed, but he came back up out of the ground. Right? You see the difference. You see how it plays out. And so my hope isn't in the people in my life. That's wishful thinking. That's fingers crossed. That's thinking that somehow if just the right people come into my life, that somehow things will work out. And it's foolish. But instead, we put our hope in someone who's going to come back up out of the ground. Jeremiah puts it this way in chapter 17. He said, cursed is the one who trusts in man. He doesn't say it's foolish. He doesn't say it's a bad idea. He doesn't say people will let you down sometimes. He said it is a curse. It is a curse to live in such a way that you keep expecting people to meet the needs that you have. We live wishful lives. And we go through life with these wishful lives and we just kind of pass on this wishful thinking to our kids. What if we lived differently? What if we lived hopeful lives? And what if we passed on hopeful thinking to our kids? How could things be different? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have a living hope that when we shift our focus, this is what's different about Jesus followers, when we shift our focus onto Jesus and what he's done and what he promises to do, we have a different perspective, and that perspective causes us to live differently. In fact, it creates a living hope that it's active and moving within our lives in the immediate. It's not fantasy. It's reality. Just funny to me because I think a lot of people would suggest that believing in God or following Jesus is fantasy. And my perspective says it's the complete opposite. Pretending like God doesn't exist, I think, is a fantasy. Thinking that you can find a fulfillment in all these other things in life, I think, is just a wishful fantasy. Jesus' follower moves from that make-believe into reality, into truth. And I love this verse. It's Romans chapter 15. He says, may the God of hope, Paul writes this, and when he talks about God, he defines him as a God of hope. That God, one of his core characteristics, one of the greatest pieces of his being is the fact that he is one of hope, all right? So may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust 
in him, that there's this picture that you just kind of lean into God. As you trust in God, you lean into this God of hope, and what happens is that the Spirit gets to work and starts pouring something back into you. And so while you fix your eyes on him and while you lean into him, you start seeing your life just filled with a joy and a peace, and it doesn't make sense in the rest of the world, and it doesn't really match their wishful thinking. But when you lean into God, he leans back with this picture of joy and peace. And I love this. The very next part, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you lean into him. He leans back with that joy and peace and you lean in even harder and hope starts just pouring into your life, overflowing out of you that you can't even prevent it, that the spirit gets to work and things start happening inside of you that you can't even make happen yourself. That's our God. It's the God of hope. And to me, it looks like Matthew chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, teaching again to the same crowd that we saw from Matthew chapter 5, and he tells this story of the wise and the foolish builders. You guys remember that one? He says that there's these two guys, and they're both building a house, and they're building it in the same area. It's kind of a sandy, rough area. It's not really exactly the perfect place to build a house, but both of these guys decide they're going to. And the foolish, ha- uh, the foolish builder, according to Jesus, says that he doesn't really have time to care much about the foundation. He just throws this house together on top of the sand. And it looks well enough, and he can live in it, and it it functions fine for what he needs it to be, and he gets through life fairly easily. He doesn't put in the extra effort that the wise builder does. The wise builder goes, and he digs down through the sand, and he gets to rock beneath it to build his house on, or, or he brings in rocks and kind of builds up a foundation, and it costs him more money, and it costs him more time, and it costs him more energy and effort, but he does it. He does the hard work to build a solid foundation, and he builds a house, and they both build a house. They both look fine. They're both functional until the storm comes. It says that the rains come down, that the streams begin to rise, that the winds blow and push against this house. At the end of the story, there's one that's floating downstream and there's one that's standing strong. And Jesus says the house that is built on the foundation is the house that has built its life on his words. Jesus said his words are the foundation to life. And if you will do the work of making your focus Jesus, that you would do the work to draw your attention to him on a daily basis and live on his words, it looks like someone who's doing the hard work of building a foundation, who's digging down to the rock and making sure that their life is on something solid. Oftentimes we settle for the sand. We build houses on education and safety and economics and all of its sand. And the house looks good, everything's fine until that storm comes. And unfortunately, storms always come. Hope is made up of that optimistic anticipation, that confidence, that robust confidence. When we have that optimistic anticipation of the person of Jesus and the promises of Jesus. What's interesting is that the opposite of that, so the opposite of, you know, you have wise, I'm sorry, there we go, opposite of that is hope. We have despair and fear. It's the opposite Fear is the opposite of confidence, the opposite, right? Which means that it means that it freezes us. When you feel fear, when you feel despair, it freezes you. It makes you stick into the place where you're at. But hope does something different. It actually motivates us. It pushes us into action. It leads us to living in a different way. John Acuff uh, is is a great communicator and a comedian. He says it this way. He says, fear comes for free. Hope takes work. In this world, you will have troubles, and you don't have to pay for it. 
You don't have to ask for it. It'll just show up in your life, right? You know this, but hope takes work. It looks like digging a foundation. It looks like, like working hard to make sure that you're focused on the right things. It's, it's the work of making sure your attention on a daily basis starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus. Then all the things that happen in this world, you filter it through who he is. See, I think hope looks more like a time clock at work. You punch in and you punch out. You keep showing up. It looks like that Romans 15 passage, you lean in and God leans back with joy and peace. And so you lean in even more and he leans back with hope. Hope is an optimistic anticipation in the person and the promises of Jesus. It's a confident way that we look at the world, despite how dark it may get, that we keep our eyes focused on him, and it will motivate us into action, that looking at Jesus causes us to want to live like Jesus, and it moves us away from the wishful thinking and the disappointments of this world. And so don't settle don't settle for this crossed finger way of living. Don't raise your kids with this settling of crossed fingers type of living. Put your hope in Jesus. Teach your kids to put their hope in Jesus. Make him central to how you see the world. And let it influence how you live. And we're going to finish this out with a video here of just one family here in our church who has uh, who's been given an awesome, awesome opportunity to practice hope. Why don't you watch this? Morning. I'm Taylor Elsie. This is my husband, Joey. And this little sunshine girl is our daughter, Avery Jo. Avery Jo was born on February 24th, a micro preemie, 15 weeks early, weighing only one pound and 15 ounces. When we were asked about what hope means to us, we talked with each other about how it is hard to put hope into words. But then we decided hope doesn't need to be explained with a lot of words. Hope to us can be explained with just one word, one name, Jesus. He is our hope. With him, all things are possible. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. There have been many times throughout this NICU journey that we have felt like we were at the end of our rope. And every single time we have felt that way, hope is what helped us tie a knot in our rope and hang on. Hope can be hard. Hope requires work on our part. Hope requires us to focus on the certainty of Jesus instead of the uncertainties of the world around us.
Amen, everybody. You can go ahead and have a seat for a moment. We're so glad you joined us here at Cap City. Before you leave today, we do have a few announcements to share with you. Coming up this Friday night, this one's very special to me, we have our Parents' Night Out fundraiser. And I hope, since our message has been about hope, I hope you will help us out with this fundraiser. This is a great opportunity for you to um, have somebody watch your child. This is open for birth through fifth grade. This Friday night, it's $15 per child. This is really going to help our students finalize our project with fundraising and head off to their camps uh, next month and into July. So we hope you can check that out. You can go to capcity.info for that. Also coming up on May 27th is our Help Build Hope event. Hopefully you got to participate in this in last year. It's a great opportunity for you to come out with your family and help those in need. We're going to be framing walls that are going to go out to Western Kentucky for uh, people who were affected by the tornadoes that hit the Kentucky area in 2021. You can also sign up for that on capcity.info. Great opportunity to come out and serve as a family. It's also Mother's Day, so you know that it is Baby Bottle Blessing Day. So as you leave today, you're going to notice those baby bottles are out on the table. I hope you pick up one of those today. As you leave, you're going to fill it up with change. You can bring that back here on Father's Day. Help out the Avenues for Women event. Cap City family, once again, we're excited that you're here. I want you to remember this. Jesus is not just our hope for today. He's our hope for tomorrow. He's our hope for the future. Have a great week.